0: Would you open God's precious holy word to Leviticus chapter seven? We've already seen the first part of the offerings. Uh, from the, we're looking at it from the side of the priesthood now. We're taught by the law of God that in the worshiper coming before God, he deals with his sin, uh, he makes personal commitment. He offers thanks. He establishes fellowship. He's mindful that he could have committed a sin that he didn't know he committed, or he has committed a sin that he knows he's committed. All of these things are dealt with. So we're going to continue here with the guilt offering. This is the one where you know you've done wrong. This is This is not not like uh, the other one. So Leviticus 7, let me go ahead and say this. Leviticus 7 completes the part of Leviticus that deals with the five offerings. Then a new section in Leviticus 8 uh, begins. And as we work our way through Leviticus from chapter 8 forward, well, even for we've already seen, we see the mind of God revealed to us in the way that God chooses to reveal it as to how he uh, expects sin to deal with how he defines sin uh, and how he expects his people to deal with sin and to deal with people who refuse to deal with their sin. So we'll see all of these things. And what we're looking at really in, in Leviticus is the mind of God a perfect standard of, of human behavior in the law, the Ten Commandments, and then the willingness of God to provide atonement and to offer forgiveness for sin? And we keep in mind the Ten Commandments are a relatively small portion of the Torah, of the law, when compared to all of the other part of the law whereby God teaches his worshipers, his people, to deal with sin, so God knows that the law can't save us. It's given to us to reveal our sin. We cannot attain the perfect standard of behavior. This is not something we're capable of doing because we're in a fallen state. We have a, a propensity to sin. Christ said that these things come from, from a, a person's um, heart, from the heart of man. And uh, God then defines, and God has to do this. Nobody else can do it. So God defines, for example, atonement. Uh, sacrifice, offering. He defines all of these things. And they come from God. Man could not define these things because those definitions would always be subject to the biases of future generations. We face this now in the church, uh, in um, in the theological persuasions of some who offer a theology that that says, you know, the Bible says these things about men and women and and, uh, um, sexual behavior and all these other things. But those those things were written in another era and another time. And when Paul wrote about husbands and wives, he wrote relative to the time he was in But those things change over time. A lot of of churches teach this, as a matter of fact. And so we we have to respond uh, to the issues of the day. and, And in doing so, maintaining the, quote, love of God and all this. My point being that these persuasions about sin and righteousness, about atonement and forgiveness... And so forth. These things are defined and identified by none other than God. It's reflected in his law. uh, And God being the one who defines these things has given to us the absolute definitions. And these things don't change. They're there. And as we move on in Leviticus 8, we're in Leviticus 7 tonight. But when we get to chapter 8 and move on from there... There are other statutes, uh, statutes about the practical side of, of life in, uh, in the camp of God's people and how to deal with your sin, how to acknowledge your sin, how to deal with your sin in a way that's acceptable to God. All of these things reveal to us the mind of God about sin. And about how his people are expected to deal with that sin. Tonight, we close out the part about the five offerings. So we've come and we're in the part, as you saw last time, we're in the part. We've seen a lot of this already. But the first part of the teaching about the five offerings was from the worshiper's perspective. The worshiper is to do This. But when the worshiper does his part, then the priest has to do his part. And so instructions are given for what the priests are supposed to do. And that's what we got into last time. And God willing, we'll finish that tonight. So let's just get into it. And this is the law of the guilt offering. It is a holy of holies. They shall slaughter the guilt offering in the place. Now they is the worshiper. You see, it's it's not you shall, but they shall. The worshiper comes and slaughters the guilt offering in the place where they slaughter the burnt offering. Same place. And its blood shall be dashed upon the altar around. All of its fat he shall offer from it. The tail and the fat covering, the innards and the two kidneys, along with the fat that is upon them, which is on the flanks, and the diaphragm with the liver, along with the kidney, he shall remove it. Now there, there is a recognition in this offering about certain parts of the sacrifice. And certain parts of the sacrifice are considered to be the best part of the animal, the fat, for example. So these things are dealt with in a certain way, and also the liver and the kidneys, which to the worshiper's mind are the seat of knowledge, emotion, and will uh, in a created being. So you have to think about these things as you go along. The, the priest is given the instruction here on how to deal with those, uh, with those things. And the priest shall cause, cause them to go up and smoke on the altar as a fire offering to Yahweh. It is a guilt offering. Any male among the priesthood, among the priests, may eat it. It shall be eaten in a holy place. It is a holy of holies. One thing we learn in these five offerings is that the priesthood is well cared for. Uh, We'll see more of how they're cared for as we go along. Because in, in some of these offerings, not in all of them, but in some of these offerings, choice parts of the sacrifice will belong to the priest. Uh, and We'll see that as we go along. Uh, like the sin offering, so is the guilt offering. They have one law. The priest who effects atonement, through it to him it shall belong. So the, the, the priest who is officiating a particular act of worship on behalf of the worshiper, somebody, one of the people of Israel comes, and one of the priests, it's his turn to deal with, the, with these things and to make and to do what he's supposed to do as the priest. In this case, the things that have just been described that are set aside, those belong to that one priest. Those, that's his. That's his for, for doing what he has done. And so God Almighty says, this belongs to that particular priest. This is the law of the guilt offering. Whoops, I went backwards. I thought that sounded Well, it's not working again. Boy, you're gonna have to stay awake. That's all I can say. I need to go to the next one, verse starts with verse eight. Oh, that'll do. I took a long time studying for this right here. What happened to it? My iPad. Yeah, you can get that for me. I've got to have the Hebrew. Well, okay. Um a rabbi, a priest, and a Baptist preacher went into a bar. <laughs> I've got it. What's that? Is that mine? Is that Hippy right there? Uh. Uh-uh. I've got my, I've got those slides. Thank you. I've got those slides on my iPad, just like I would have had them up here. That that could help. Thank you. But I'm going to use. Uh, I've got my translation okay well here we go we're back with the kidneys and the fat right and the innards ah, ooh, ooh. That, that verse 8 a powerful verse brother man we're going we're to teach some stuff tonight how can these things be if y'all quickly look at all of these, I'll be done here in just about three seconds. Huh. Well, she's gone to get my iPad. We don't want to leave anything out. Huh? Yeah, I know it. That's the devil. No, we don't want them here to hear this one. We don't want them to know to do what with their kidneys. Yeah, well, yeah, it's a... I act like I know what I'm talking about. This is the layman's terms. When seeking to move electronic devices from one place into a new booth, one encounters... A, <laughs> a plethora, it looks sort of like the human nervous system, I guess. All of the wires and cables. Yeah, we unplugged all that. <laughs> and uh, so it has been. Five, six. Man. Helps. rope. So when me and Tim decided to unplay it all, yeah. I can't say I wrong twice one week. Okay. And the priest who offers up a person's burnt offering, the skin or the hide, the skin of the burnt offering which he has offered up belongs to the priest. It shall be his. So a priest could open up a, a wool and leather shop or something. And any meal offering baked in an oven, and any one made in a deep pan or in a shallow pan, belongs to the priest who offers it up. It'll be his. It shall be his. So this is the uh, uh, the loaves that are made. And any meal offering mixed with oil or dry shall belong to all the sons of Aaron. One like the other, so they would share in the loaves that are given. Now, the peace offering. Okay, maybe this is all I needed was just that one slide. So I guess you're supposed to give the preacher a leather coat every, every year. The peace offering. This is the law of the peace offering which he, shall bring, which he shall bring to Yahweh. If he is bringing it as a thanksgiving offering, he shall offer along with the thanksgiving offering unleavened loaves mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and scalded flour mixed with oil. Along with loaves of leavened bread, he shall bring his offering along with his thanksgiving peace offering. And he shall bring from it one out of each offering as a separation for the Lord, for Yahweh. The priest who dashes the blood of the peace offering, this belongs to him, it shall be his. And the flesh of his thanksgiving peace offering shall be eaten on the day it is offered up. He shall not leave any of it over until morning. So it has to be taken care of. It has to be consumed, it has to be eaten the day that it is offered. This offering cannot go over this particular one. But if his sacrifice is a vow or a voluntary donation, on the day he offers up his sacrifice, it may be eaten and on the next day whatever is left over from it, it may be eaten. So the priest can enjoy that and he can enjoy leftovers the next day. But he can't do it on the third day. However, whatever is left over from the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day shall be burnt in fire. We have all kinds of ways to to reason why it is the way that it is or it was the way that it was. Um, you know, some 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 can think of the third day how significant that is in the New Testament. Some can think of uh, spoilage by the third day. Spoilage could create an, a health hazard for the worshipper or, or for the priest, whatever. But it sh- it shall not be accepted to be eaten on the third day. It shall not count for the one who offers it. Rather, it shall be rejected, and the person who eats of it shall bear his sin. So you have to take care of things right up front. And the flesh that touches anything unclean shall not be eaten. It shall be burned in fire. But regarding the flesh, anyone who is clean may eat the flesh. Now this is the fellowship. This is the fellowship offering. Remember that uh, where usually uh, the rabbis write that usually when they come together in a fellowship uh, offering like this, the worshiper can invite other people, of course, along with the priest, and they, uh, they make commitments of friendship to one another so that if one of them happens to go through a bad time, the other one is there to help him. It could be physically, it could be financially, it could be in any number of ways. That's, that's what the rabbis say are important about a, a fellowship type of, of offering. Uh, and a person, a person who eats flesh, uh, of a peace offering of Yahweh while his uncleanness is upon him that soul shall be cut off from its people. Also the rabbinical commentary on, on this is that in this day, what does that mean? You see that going to be cut off, are they going to be thrown out of the camp and told just head for that mountain and leave us alone? Apparently it would be decided in a civil court of the people in that day. But according to the language, the rabbinical commentary is that according to tradition and history, the people would deal with someone like this. When, and you're going to see this more than just now. They'll see it in other places here. Shall be cut off from his people. Um, the worshiper, number one, would be rendered sterile and number two, be killed according to the decision, apparently to the severity of the case, according, according, uh, as the rabbis would say, according to the rule of the court that would sit over a person who had broken a rule, a law like this. A person who touches anything unclean, whether uncleanness from a human or unclean animal, a carcass, or any unclean carcass of an abominable creature, and then eats of the flesh of a peace offering to Yahweh, that soul shall be cut off from its people. So there it is again. The prohibition. Okay. Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, You shall not eat any fat of an ox, sheep, or goat. The fat of carrion, and the fat of an animal with a fatal disease or injury may be used for any work, but you shall not eat it. Now, there, 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 there again, there's a rule. Apparently, God just demands that some things are separated. And when you deal with it, you deal with it in a way that it is burned up and consumed and put up into my presence. For anyone who eats fat of animals from which sacrifices are brought as fire offerings to Yahweh, the soul who eats it should be cut off. From his people. Now, these are rules. Remember, this is what the priesthood are learning. These are the priests. The rules for the priests. And you should not eat any blood in any of your dwelling places, whether from birds or from animals. Any person who eats any blood, that soul shall be cut off from his people. Now, later on in Leviticus, here's the rule the life of the flesh is in the blood. And of course, the force of life. Is something that, and it speaks of sacrifice, which finally points to Christ, is something that God Almighty uh, oversees Himself. And nobody else can, can, can say anything about that. The portion for the priests. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel saying, anyone who brings his peace offering to Yahweh shall bring his sacrifice to Yahweh from his peace offering. His own hands shall bring the fire offerings of Yahweh. The fat... On the breast, he shall bring it, the breast, to wave it as a wave offering, a waving or a wave offering before Yahweh. And the co- the priest shall uh, cause the fat to go up in smoke on the altar, and the breast shall belong to Aaron and his sons. So, according to the offering that is being offered, the instructions for the priests are that a, a A portion of certain offerings will belong to the priesthood, some just to the priest who is officiating and some uh, some to all of them. They can they can split it up and divide it up among themselves. And you shall give the right thigh as an elevation offering to the priest from your peace offering. Any one of the sons of Aaron who offers up the blood of peace offering and the fat, he shall have the right thigh as a portion For I have taken the breast of the waving and the thigh of the elevation from the sons of Israel from their peace offerings and I have given them to Aaron the priest and to his sons as an eternal statute from the sons of Israel. Again, if you think of how, if you think of how many offerings are made, we're talking here, we're talking two and a half, three million people because this is in conjunction with the story of Exodus and from the millions of people uh, probably the head of the house would come, you you know, you're talking thousands upon thousands of offerings uh, that will be made and, and you can see how the priesthood would be well cared for from, from all of the parts of the sacrifices that God has provided uh, for them. This is the grant for Aaron's anointment and his son's anointment from the fire offerings of Yahweh. On the day that he brought, this is their ordination, that he brought them near to be priests for Yahweh, which Yahweh commanded to give them on the day that he anointed them from the sons of Israel. This is an eternal statute uh, for their generations, This is the law for the burnt offering, for the meal offering, and for the sin offering, and for the guilt offering, and for the investitures, and for the peace offering, which Yahweh commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on the day he commanded the sons of Israel to offer up their sacrifices to Yahweh in the uh, Sinai desert. Do I not have any more slides after that one? Well, okay, that got messed up. I happen to have them here though. I want to go over a summary of why these things are important to us as Christians and what we can think about when we, when we study these things um, with regard to these five offerings. Well, okay. Okay maybe i don't have it there was a there was an for example there was an order Let's see if it's here okay no, 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 no. Well, it says it was in the drop box, but apparently it wasn't. The identity of the five offerings. The Levitical sacrificial system had five separate and distinct offerings. Now, this is just to summarize where we've been in Leviticus that could be made to Yahweh. These are the five major offerings that are introduced in the first chapters of Leviticus. And they are the burnt offering which was initially described in Leviticus 1 the meat offering in Leviticus 2 the peace offering or the or the meal offering meat offering the peace offering in Leviticus 3 the sin offering in Leviticus 4 the trespass offering in Leviticus 5 So here is the let's go back and survey and just to summarize the five major offerings the first one in Leviticus 1 the burnt offering it was the only offering that would be totally consumed on the altar with nothing eaten by men, nothing left. It's the first offering that is mentioned by name in the Bible in Genesis chapter 8. This offering is a, it's a it's a it's the most common of the offerings that it mentioned in Scriptures. It's mentioned 197 times. It's a voluntary offering, it's a sweet savor, it's a sweet smelling aroma. To Yahweh, and the importance of it is that it indicates complete surrender to the Lord. It is a general offering of atonement for sin and an expression of total commitment and dedication from the worshiper to Yahweh. The next one is the meal offering or the meat offering, as it's called sometimes, Leviticus 2. It's the only offering that is made without any shedding of blood and without an animal sacrifice. It's an offering of fine flour and no animal flesh is offered. It is also a voluntary offering. And it's a sweet smelling aroma to Yahweh when it's offered. And it indicates a living sacrifice. The third one is the peace offering in Leviticus 3. It is the only offering in which the worshiper or the one who offers the offering could eat of the meat of the sacrifice so the worshiper can partake of this one and only this one the peace offering it also is a voluntary offering and when offered it is a sweet smelling savor to Yahweh it indicates fellowship or communion the closeness of worshipers with each other and with the priest who offers the offering the sin offering is in Leviticus 4 it is a required offering. This is not a votive or a, it's, it's not a voluntary offering. It is required. And there is no sweet smelling aroma that comes from the sin offering. It deals with the sinner and the problem of sin. And it indicates payment for the sin nature. This is the one that deals with the sins that you don't know that you've committed. Finally, in Leviticus 5, the trespass offering, which is a required offering also, there is no sweet smelling aroma that comes from this. The guilt offering, the, the sin offering, and the trespass offering, or the guilt, these deal with sin. And therefore, being required and not a voluntary offering, it cannot offer a sweet smelling aroma to Yahweh. Again, the trespass offering is a required offering. It deals with particular sins and it indicates that the worshiper is forgiven of the sins he has committed. So this obviously speaks of of the grace of God. Now, the order of the five offerings that are given by Yahweh to Moses. The first is the burnt offering. In Philippians in 2, uh, 6 through 8, we read that Christ completely surrendered himself entirely to God the Father. And in his commitment as our Savior and in his life, he was fully consumed uh, in his commitment. So this was his life as a, burnt, as a meal offering or a meat offering. Christ, and this is from John 4, verse 34, Christ gave himself as a living sacrifice And he continually was performing the will of the Father. He expresses that all the way through the Gospels. The peace offering. Ephesians 2, you should have this memorized, right? We even talked about it today. Christ made peace with God on behalf of his own. The sin offering. We read about that in Isaiah 53 and in Hebrews 9 and verse 26. The sin offering. Christ atoned for our fallen nature. You see, in a fallen nature, we commit sins that we really don't realize we're committing because we're in a fallen nature. We can try to do something good as an unsaved person and thinking that that behavior, that act, thinking that that is something that will give us credit with God is in itself a grievous sin because we're depending upon our own works to justify us before God that's part of our fallen sin nature. Christ atoned for our fallen sin nature on the cross and he satisfied the wrath of God. That's in, he- that's in um, Isaiah 53. Finally, the trespass offering. Christ, and this is from Hebrews 10 and verse 12. Christ paid for our individual sins in his death on the cross. So from the perspective From God's perspective in the Old Testament, burnt offering, meal offering, peace offering, sin offering, trespass offering, in that order. But we as the worshipers today understand that when we come to God, we have to come in reverse order. That was for Christ. This is how we come to God. First the trespass offering. Recognizing the guilt of our sins and our need for forgiveness and we can only find it in Christ, 1 John chapter 2. Then the sin offering. We need a power that can conquer our sin nature and will keep us saved in life even though as we pass through life we don't know what's coming up. We don't know what we're going to be doing. We don't know how we're going to be responding. But in Christ, that's already taken care of. That's the sin offering. Then the peace offering. First John one, we find that through the cross of Christ, he opens up the way for true fellowship with God. So a, a beautiful story about that or a beautiful account of this is given in the law seeing uh, Revelation chapter three, the, the church at Laodicea, Christ is knocking at the door. Now, this it's supposed to be a church with Christ on the outside. And Christ calls out, if anyone in there will open the door and let me in, then we will sit down and fellowship together. We will, deipno is the Greek word, we will, we will supper together. We will enjoy the last meal of the day together. And Christ does that as performing the will of the Father for those of us who are in Christ. And then that for us becomes our peace offering. Christ is our peace offering, giving us true fellowship with God. Then the meal offering, we're going in reverse order. The meal offering... Is spoken to us in Romans twelve about 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 in Romans twelve through his obedient life, Christ shows us the way to be a living sacrifice to God. Present yourselves a living sacrifice. Romans twelve verse one. Finally, the burnt offering. Now that's the first of the of the five in the Old Testament, thinking of Christ. He comes, having laid aside his glory, he comes to completely commit himself to the will of the Father. It starts there with Christ, but it ends there with us. Christ didn't have to deal with sin for himself. He had to deal with our sin. But for us, that's the first thing that has to be dealt with. But the final thing is the burnt offering. And we read about that in Philippians 2. And we find the greatest uh, blessing in our lives when we are fully consumed in our commitment to God. That's that's the burnt offering. That we come to that point finally after all of these other offerings that we we have totally committed ourselves in service and in our lives, in our daily walk, to almighty God. And in that sense, uh, this is how Christ brings to us in a spiritual sense with regard to himself as well into total and full commitment. We read that last verse today uh, in Ephesians six and verse 24. And it, and it talked about these divine gifts of, of peace and, and, uh, love with faith and we talked about the language and what it meant to us it was an ongoing thing that is part of who we are that is like that is like the full consuming of our lives being in Christ and this is how our lives are like a burnt offering because of what Christ has done for us we study about that in Philippians 2 well okay We're going to stop there and God willing, we'll get into the next section of Leviticus next time. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, that Christ is our sacrifice in every way. He's done it all for us. For this, we're thankful. Now, Lord, strengthen us in what we understand from the Old Testament, how it has been applied through Christ to our lives in these present days. Strengthen us in the path and use us always for your glory. Thank you for the occasion we've had tonight of studying your word. In Jesus' name, amen.